Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live, the last show for February, meaning that we will have a monthly winner in just a few minutes' time. And our focus today is on writing for children. And here to set the scene is our classic 60-second pop-up explainer. Children's books as a category includes books for ages 6 months to about 12 years of age. These books succeed when they tap into the human appetite for story and when they inspire youngsters to become readers. Three really important connections help children love books. First and earliest, children look forward to reading when they get to snuggle up next to you while you read it to them. Second, a story with illustrations will keep the child looking at the page. Then, slowly but surely, they will detect the meaning of the words written there. And third, children naturally enjoy the rhythms and repetitions of spoken language. When you read aloud to them now, later, and throughout their lives, they will appreciate the musicality of language, both spoken and written. When they are ready, and not before, children will race ahead to select stories for themselves. They become readers. The words become longer, the stories more complex, and the illustrations less frequent. But have no doubt, children's books can provide some of the richest and most indelible connections to the world, both real and imaginal. Now let's meet today's guests. When you think of writing for children here in the UK, there's only one expert's name that's always at the top of the list. And she's here with us live, the very wonderful Julia Eccleshare. And also, please welcome broadcaster, school librarian and pop-up producer, yeah, a woman of many talents, is the equally wonderful Kate Salisbury. Now... I'm sorry to tell you, we had some attempts to game the voting system last week, which I'm really sorry about because the submission affected was actually very strong and more than capable of standing up by itself, which means that Ben Bergonzi's 18th century crime thriller, Justice Town, continues to be at the top of the pile. So let's see if that's still the same situation in a few minutes' time. And straight on to submission number one. It's called Santa's Bath. It's a children's picture book for ages three to seven. Oh, it's about my mental age, actually. I should like it. It's by Michael, and this is Michael's blurb, very short and sweet. After years of Santa not washing, dirty old man, the elves are determined to get him clean, whatever it takes. Uh, let me tell you about Michael, originally an actor, I now run my own children's entertainment company, www.frogglepartys.com. Um, Michael, you could have put that in the uh, in the box, actually, and then there would have been a QR code there that people do like to, to, to scan. Um, as well as picture book writing in my spare time, I also write fun puppet shows and children's songs, uh, some of which can be heard here on your website. Again, form a link. I absolutely love writing for children and making them laugh, especially the three to seven year age age range rather and here um somewhat older than that but not that much older is hannah santa's bath by michael rossini read by hannah the elves all love santa he's not a bad boss but a problem looms and it's making them cross as soon as he strolls in the room you can tell from the awesome, incredible, breathtaking smell. It's true, Santa stinks, and it's no cause to laugh. 
It's been several years since he's taken a bath. The elves try to hint at his horrible whiff, but the mere sight of water leaves Santa scared stiff. They put pegs on noses, try magic elf spells, but can't do away with his huge jingle smells. It's causing huge havoc for poor Santa's wife. Even Rudolph can't stand it and runs for dear life. Enough, cry the elves. Working here is like a curse. Santa's unfestive whiff just keeps getting worse. It's about elfin safety. It's simply obscene. So they make it their mission to get Santa clean. Then whilst he's out napping, asleep in his sleigh, to the sleigh wash they sneak, but he soon gets away. Out skating, they weaken some ice on a lake, hoping to dunk him, but what a mistake. One evening, when Santa turns in for the night, they nab him and grab him and cause quite a fright. They bind him in ribbon and tinsel, then clap. Aha, boys, we've got him. Great job. That's a wrap. He squeals and he squirms in his fluffy nightgown as the elves get ready to hose him right down. But no, he breaks free. The plan doesn't work and Santa's beginning to go quite berserk. Panicked and flustered, he flees in a fret, but the elves are determined. It's not over yet. So one Christmas Eve, Santa takes to the sky, leaving gifts and his whiffs in homes he goes by. Now usually he'll climb down the chimneys with ease, though often there's some that can be a slight squeeze. The elves know he's not going to like it one bit, but the minute they find one where Santa can't fit, Help! Get me out! Someone pull me! I'm stuck! Sorry there, Santa. You're fresh out of luck. They land on the chimney, jump in from above, and give the big man a mighty great shove. Down Santa tumbles, and what do you know? They've plunked a big bath in the fireplace below. Ah! Santa cries as he falls with a splosh plunging right in for his overdue wash. The elves scrub him down his tummy and toes and trim all the hairs poking out from his nose. Then finally it hits him. Despite all past troubles, Santa discovers he loves foam and bubbles. From that moment on, he baths every day with a hot tub right there on the back of his sleigh. He zips round the world on his Christmas Eve run and stops off for baths because it's just so much fun. He soaks there for hours in plunge pools, hot springs. It drives the elves mad, even more when he sings. Then whilst he's delivering gifts as he roams, he'll sneak into bathrooms in some people's homes. So if you're up late, Christmas Eve, and you dare, go check your tub. There's a chance Santa's there. All right, so uh, definitely brought out my inner child. Let's see what the genius room is, is saying. Uh, Dave says some great rhymes here, um, and that's echoed by Archie Woods. He says, Jingle smells, winner. Um, Johnny says, Shame there are no picks. Either slow start gets better. And Hannah, who of course did our reading, we always like to hear from our narrators because they see the manuscript in a slightly different way. Some stanzas vary in the positioning of the first stressed syllable. Just needs a wee edit to make sure parents, guardians find the meter easy all the way through. But overall, it's a very enjoyable read. And I think children of this age will really enjoy it too. I want to ask um, Kate, actually, because you're a pro in this research. You're on the... Um, oh, 
on the front front line with with children on libraries and things humble rhyming couplets i mean is that still really a thing for kids is it still commercial in this day and age Oh, definitely for the, for the little ones, yeah, most definitely, and also um, seasonal. It still works great too. They still like um, Christmas stories at Christmas time. Um, that's the thing. But of course, Christmas time is a time when people buy presents and buy presents at a book. So, I, I think commercial terms, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. it. I thought I gave it pretty high marks across the board. Actually, a nice simple title. Did what it say on the said on the tin. Um, I thought um, I thought the blurb was exactly what you'd see on the back of a picture book. Actually, you wouldn't go yeah, into great detail. Yeah. Again, it makes it clear what's coming. We knew what was coming, and, and we got it. Um, again, the the rhyming was good. Um, there were a few few little issues with scanning. I thought, but only minor issues. Very very fixable. I liked the idea um, very much. Smelly Santa. I mean, kids love that kind of thing. Um, so that's good. And like, trimming his nostril hairs and all that. That's all good. Yeah. That's going to make them giggle. You know. Uh, do you know what? The one thing I thought though that might make the premise go from being fun to being really perfect was if yeah. you could just work in something maybe having a child maybe mm. a child wants to try and trap santa or set a little lay a little trap for santa and they they are the ones that put out that the child puts out the bath that santa mm. falls in uh, rather than the elves so it's a it's a win for the child and, and perhaps the, the child doesn't quite see them but does see the kind of foam on the carpet or something like that that was the, the thing that occurred to me that might make it just that just that bit extra special but overall i thought that was a pretty solid submission actually That's oh good, good okay well fair, fair enough uh casey on youtube says it, it is rather retro shades of the 50s very likable meter is a bit variable um it's humble isn't it julia it's humble do you think it's commercial yeah i do think it's commercial actually okay. i mean i think uh i think it, it is true about seasonal books i mean uh people get them out at christmas there are displays of them shots are piled high with them but the disadvantage there are still you know 40 something weeks where, when they yes. don't really sell so i always think there's a slight problem but i mean you know obviously there have been julia donaldson axel scheffler books about christmas as you know i i think it's i think it's a very good premise i think the idea of a dirty santa claus and the elves wanting to have a bath is great i think the early the early uh, couplets particularly work well i think it has a probably a third too much material in it yeah. I think it could be quite dramatically cut, and yeah. that would improve it a lot because more uh, less is often more in something like this. You know, you'd, you'd get the um, the jokes better. I thought the uh, two, the two puns were not very good. I thought the 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 the, the one about the deer didn't work, <laughs> and yeah. there was another one. But those were very. That was just one word, and I agree with Hannah, who I thought read absolutely brilliantly. <laughs> But it, it was the the meter was slightly variable for the reader, yeah. uh, which is a parent or grandparent. I can tell you, it's always the struggle. You know, when you start yeah. kind of stumbling over it. I think this is a very goable picture book. Fantastic. I can see this. I can Good. see this out there. That's um, absolutely brilliant. And I think you know, uh, if you can write songs, you can write verse you there you know. go there you go uh michael you've got some uh, some words of praise indeed from julia and indeed kate and the um the juniors room which is what really counts actually so julia uh, can you press your vote button i have you have okay i will yep. check and see if those numbers come in on a moment oh yes they have they have my goodness <laughs> 
We are in a charitable mood today, I say, aren't we? You've got a stonkingly good 72, Michael. That's, I, that actually catapults you into the lead this month. Good heavens, I wonder if it's going to carry on like that. Let's see. <laughs> Straight on the number two. We're on a roll, guys. Oh, we've got a QR code there too. So there's a website here that Nigel would like you to go to. So please scan that on your phone and go there. Um, this is a children's picture book too. It's called Bite the Shark and the Magical Didgeridoo. Is that an instruction? Do I have to bite the magical didgeridoo as well? I wonder. This is Nigel's blurb. Bite is a friendly great white shark. He loves to swim, play, explore, and of course, eat. But there is something about Bite that makes him unusual. A terrible mystery threatens the underwater kingdom. The only option is to call on Bite, because sometimes being unusual is just what's needed. Yes, I suppose it is. Um, Nigel has had a long career in sales and marketing within financial services. Oh, so talk about swimming with sharks, eh, Nigel? Well, uh, <laughs> just came to me. Uh, coupled with a love of language, literature, personal growth and adventure. Three months sabbatical in 2003 that turned into 18 months of global travel has provided many experiences, much influence and inspiration, not least reflected in Byte's first adventure. Can you tell? I don't know. Uh, Nigel has a strong love of the water, as a keen experienced diver. He's had many close encounters with apex predators, sharks. He's always had the desire to write books, compelled to put pen to paper. This creative adventure has just begun and are here to uh, launch you very effectively is our own file. yes I said file. look it up it's Ali Bite the Shark by Nigel read by Alison this is Bite Bite is a friendly great white shark he loves to swim play explore and of course eat but there is something about Bite that makes him a little unusual. Unlike his other shark friends who are carnivores because they eat meat and pescatarians because they eat seafood, Bite only eats plants. He is a vegetarian shark. Bite doesn't mind being different. He loves how being a vegetarian makes him strong and healthy. In fact, he's so strong and healthy that the Mer King and Queen made him the guardian of kingdom underwater Varnia which is a big deal if you live underwater. One night, while underwater Vanya slept under the moon's shimmering reflection, the duty guard felt very strange and very, very sleepy. She tried everything to stay awake. First she did star jumps. That didn't work. Next swimming on the spot. That didn't work. She even gobbled down six coffee cockles and drank two chocolate sea cucumber smoothies. That didn't work either. I can't understand why I feel so, so... The guard never got to finish the sentence, falling into a deep and peaceful sleep. Behind a nearby rock, a group of naughty crocodiles giggled to themselves. Too easy. Good one, mate. <laughs> this magical didgeridoo is amazing. Less of the chat, said the crocodile boss. We still have work to do. Next stop, the royal bedroom, then the treasure room. The naughty crocodiles crept into the underwater castle 
As quick as a hungry crocodile snaps its jaws around a juicy treat, they bundled the Mer King and Queen into a large, smelly sack. Next stop, the jewels. They zoomed around the jewel room, grabbing gold, emeralds and pearls. Within seconds, the room was bare. Within minutes, they were heading back to their den, pleased with their prized catch of the day. In their excitement, the crocodiles forgot to play the magical didgeridoo to the mer-king and queen. They hadn't noticed that the quick-witted queen had cut a little hole in the bag and dropped pearls from her necklace along the way. She had left a trail for someone, a special someone, to follow. Can you guess who that someone is? The next morning, the kingdom of underwater Varnia was in chaos. Not only did they have no jewels left to pay the water bill, but the Mer King and Queen were missing. Only one person to call. Bite! We need you! As if by super vegetarian magic, Bite suddenly appeared. He examined the messy bedroom, noticing something strange and very smelly on the bed. Aha! A stinky fabric thread. This is our first clue. The robbers kidnapped our Mer King and Queen, putting them in a smelly sack. Bite swam over to the treasure room, noticing another interesting thing. A cork hat. This is our second clue. And I now know who did this. It's those naughty crocodiles. The guards were shocked by the news and slightly in awe of Bite's detective skills. They made a mental note to themselves. We must eat more seaweed and less meat. Just then, Bite saw a trail of pearls leading out of the treasure room. And this is our third clue. Our clever Mer King and Queen have left a trail for us to follow. But what I still don't understand is how the crocodiles got into the castle without our guards noticing. He summoned his best team of guards, the SAS, Special Aqua Service, and as night fell upon the kingdom, the rescue mission began. Under the moonlight, Bite and the SAS tiptoed onto the beach, wearing their special scuba-breathing apparatus. The naughty crocodiles were feasting and drinking, wearing all sorts of jewels and pearls. Bite could see the Merking and Queen tied up by the campfire, looking worried. How would they rescue them? Resting next to a palm tree, Bite spotted the magical didgeridoo. So that's how they broke into the castle, he thought to himself. A fantastic and cheeky idea popped into his head. Bite signalled to his SAS team to cover their ears as he sneakily edged his way over to the tree. Just as Bite was about to pick up the didgeridoo, the naughty crocodiles spotted him. Get Bite! they shouted, snap snap snapping as they rushed towards him. So, yeah, you hit your 700 word limit there. Uh, sorry, Nigel, but um, these are the, the rest of the illustrations. Everyone seems to like the illustrations. Um, but we do have to cut you off at 700 words. Isn't that dreadful? Yeah, how to draw sharks. And there's a picture of you. Fantastic. Let's see what the Genius Room is saying. Lots of comments there. Um, so it's great reading. Um, Eva, got interesting comments. If I can find it, there's so many good comments there. Eva says, too preachy, not story enough. Johnny says, just ordered a copy, slick in presentation and with a message too. But Galandriel says, agree, agree with Vagabond Heart, the story is weak, but the pictures are stunning. And on YouTube, Katie says, lovely illustrations, very nice, but he's an obligate carnivore. 
Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. it's a, a, a bonnet head and you can eat a bit of seagrass. Whoa. I don't want a bonnet head, but several people have, uh, have picked on the <clears throat> crocodile thing as well. So let's see what Julia reckoned to that. Well, just as I was very generous to uh, the title, particularly of Santa's Bar, I go for simplicity. I think we 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 forget that simple is very very good in lots of situations but very particularly in picture books for young children and i think the sad thing about this is that the 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 core idea of the shark is a really nice one good character well thought out quite good 360 degrees character but the plot was awful and far too complicated and Children of this age aren't interested in how it references great crime murder, I mean, sorry, great crime stories or, you know, other whodunits or whatever. Yeah. What they want is something, and I thought all the comments uh, that we've seen about, you know, this isn't authentic enough is incredibly important. They're mm. used to things like, I mean, even the Blessed Octonauts, which they all absolutely adore. I mean, it's very fanciful, but the, the, the point at the end is you come out knowing something about science, I mean, or yeah. underwater marine biology or whatever you want to call it. And I thought this was too too muddled up. I would go back to the drawing board, take bite the shark, drop the magical didgeridoo, which I think is irritating, and yeah, I mark is. the title Dine for something that's too long and too... I mean, it doesn't make you think how interesting. It makes you think, oh, I'm not bothered about that. Bite the shark's a great character. Write a very simple story. Look at Santa's bath and see how to go simple. And I think he could come out with something really interesting. There you go. A fantastic vegetarian advice. shark is a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or even vegan, dare I say. Anything to add to that? Uh, masterful <laughs> summary there, Kate. Not much to add to that. No, I mean, I, I agree. I was probably slightly more generous, but I do agree. I thought the blurb was pretty good, actually. And I was quite like, oh, I like the idea of the shark's unusual thing is what solves the crime. But but it kind hmm. of wasn't in the end. And, and I needed something to be... I needed it to be more clever um, in the sense that, oh, something about being a vegetarian was what solved the mystery, you know, some yeah. clue that way. Um, yeah. So I, I think more could have been done with that just to make tighten up the plot, make it more interesting. Because don't forget, um, it, it may be the children that you're reading this to, and certainly the level of language and everything was fine because you're going to be reading it aloud to child. But at the end of the day, it's the adults are going to buy it. Um, now, a lot of adults will buy it on, on the basis of the pictures alone. But at the end of the day, how often are they going to read it out to their little one? If the yeah. adult's not particularly into it, they're not going to bother. They might read it once and they might just leave it there for the child to kind of flip through the pictures, really. Yeah. Which, you know, OK, you made a sale. You made a sale. But if, if you want your, your writing and your story um, to be something that can lead to further sales of your stuff, then I think that aspect of it does need to be stronger, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the illustrations are absolutely fantastic and I really like the bit at the end, you know, how to draw a shark and all that. I mean, that's all great, you know. But yeah. you've really got to make that story work for its money. So, Vagabond totally agrees okay. with you. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I've got two actually cringe, cringe-worthy jokes in the genius room, which I've got to read out to you, obviously. And mm -hmm. Lex says, the message here is important. Eat less meat. It leaves more for Lex. And Martin says, I don't normally like lone sharks. L-O-N-E sharks. Yes, sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. 
So you got a solid 48 there, Nigel. Um, and very good advice from Julia Kate and the collective wisdom of the Genius Room. I'll tell you what we should do. We, you've got a bunch of adults here, haven't you, talking about books for children. Maybe you should hear from children, see what they think. I really like reading because it creates a picture in your head and it takes you through a nice, fun journey. When I saw a book for the first time in my life, I thought, wow, how cool. It brought me to a different world where my wishes come true. As I get inspired, I invite it to, you know, add things into my imagination. I like horror books, also I like comedy, adventure and detective. It lets me travel to other worlds. My sister, she always liked reading a lot of books, so then I started reading with her and it was really fun. I really like comedy books because they're really funny and like maybe like spy books. I like reading non-fiction books about animals and everything. When I came to the school, I started reading with section one and I went to up levels with the reading books. And we went to a library last time, first time, I was checking my books and I enjoyed them really. So, Kate, those are, of course, you recognise them very well. They are children from the school where you are the librarian, actually. So, and thank That's you very right. much to everyone involved in that. That was, that was terrific. I mean, very, very diverse set of views. I mean, have you noticed any change in terms of their reading habit over the past few years? Um, I don't know about change, but I, th I think one should never underestimate how diverse their tastes are. I mean, you heard their you know, non-fiction, horror, detective, funny books. They've got very wide tastes. Um, but I, I do think that over the years, um, there's more and more competing with reading as a pastime. And there are more and more stories being told for children in way more diverse ways, which they can get to at the touch of an iPad. And when I say stories, for example, the things that my own children are into are things like um, YouTubers who tell stories using things like Minecraft, you know, they just create scenarios and it's storytelling, but it's storytelling in the digital realm. And um, you will see the way they, that my older readers, my teenagers, go for fan fiction. And should we had. be snob? Is it snobbish and to be concerned about that? that? Kind of thing. Is it snobbish to um, be concerned about that? Or I don't think it's snobbish. No, but I, I tell you what, I do think publishers need to wake up actually and realise that the way that storytelling is being told and being consumed by mm. younger potential readers is changing a lot and they need to get in there and what is happening is that there's less and less reading for pleasure going on now i think you've got a view on this julia yeah i mean i think um I, I i i think it's absolutely right that children are getting to stories in lots of different ways and actually interestingly the language they use about reading one of the things they all like to talk about is this idea of world building and that's where the Minecraft stuff comes in because that is the quintessential world building. And so I, I, I think I think we should see storytelling in any medium in which it comes through. I think that's they're all very valid. I think what those children in the clips showed was that there is a very particular thing about reading a story to yourself. And it's why a lot of really good readers, children readers, don't like TV adaptations because mm. they feel that their imagination has been somehow intruded on or taken away from. 
And so I don't feel pessimistic about reading at all. I actually feel rather optimistic because I think, I mean, you know, the fact that children, 16-year-olds anyway, are getting book recommendations from TikTok seems to me absolutely great. So long as, I mean, where you're absolutely right is that if publishers don't have books and access to books in the places where young people want to be, then reading will suffer. If they do, they can keep it very high up the pecking order. And that's why, you know, all the whatever many years ago it was, Penguin were perfectly right to publish Suella's book because she was somebody who the readers of that moment were fascinated to know more about. So, you know, that was the right thing to do. I just think we shouldn't be, I don't think we should ever be precious about what a children's writer, who a children's writer should be and what a children's book is. I think a children's book, a good children's book is a book that inspires children to love to read or enter other worlds or however you want to describe it um and engage in that uh i, I don't really i mean I, i'm very unpurist about it i don't really mind whether they're listening to it or watching it on tv i just think so long as they know i mean as long as they get the point that we all tell stories all the time when you know when we first met we told each other stories about where we were whatever if they can see that the world is full of stories and there are some that are written in books and if you can engage with them you get taken somewhere else that's what we want i went that's last week i went to see i went to see the uh, play of philip pullman's uh, book la belle sauvage mm. and it was absolutely full of including my own children kids in their 30s oh, yeah. who fell in love with lyra <laughs> when they were 12 yeah. or so or 10 yeah. and want to know what happens to her now that is real reading because Absolutely. they have gone on a life journey with, with a character but, i love it but, but we all know that we all know yeah. that's what we've got out of it but kids are getting that just from all sorts of different ways and it's very snobbish to say they can't have it like that because they got it off a tv show it doesn't um, matter it still can be good and lex in the genius room points out the next time someone is snobbish about fan fiction point out that the odyssey was fan fiction it's a good point good point oh, do you have any concerns at all julia about the way things are going or is it all actually oh yes i have lots of concerns about it i mean i'm, I'm quite purist about how books are actually written i find it i don't like them i don't like everything being in the first person i actually think that's very stultifying and i think it means that you we talk a lot about reading being very good about developing empathy but actually a first person narrative is inevitably very one-dimensional that character can't really know what the others are thinking. So you don't experience that. I mind quite a lot, funnily enough, for somebody who's not very good at grammar themselves, I mind quite a lot about grammar. I, yeah. <laughs> I like it to, I do like, I, I don't, I quite like writing, written, I don't want writing to sound like speaking, exactly. Yeah. I want it to be close enough to feel that it doesn't seem old fashioned, but I think there are some cons there are some things you can do with writing that make it very special. And careful use of language is at the heart of it for me. So I no, I'm not I'm not I do I do worry about that. I mean the thing I really worry about is authors being asked to write too many books too quickly. Yeah. Well that's because they're not paid much. That's the problem. <laughs> Well, and also because, you know, the publisher's very keen, if they're successful, to keep them yeah. right on the button and in the public eye and with a new book twice a year. That's Four, a hell of a pressure. I do actually think, however, that I think publishers actually need to be a lot more proactive now because um, I'm, I'm not, pes I wouldn't say I'm pessimistic, but I'm seeing an awful lot of readers being lost around the middle grade time. And what you saw there, the, the children 
in they, they're both sort of up the upper primary year four and year six there that, that we heard talking once they go into secondary it's like it goes over a cliff the interest in reading it just goes vonk and you is kind that of male, really male need and to get female or is it just the males it's particularly noticeable with the boys yeah. um yeah but but there is a certain amount of it with girls too and i think in a way the more kind of solid you can make the foundation in in primary and then continue it through with with strong middle grade stuff but it's got to be stuff that works for modern children now and what i see over and over again is middle grade fiction which is just too too long <laughs> word mm. counts there's lovely ideas beautifully written and then these big fat books Mm. Um, and, and they take one look at them and I literally, because I have a book trolley that goes into classes and my 11, 12 year olds, 13 year olds they flip down, they, they, they look at the size of the book's um, spine and they put it back again they don't even bother to look inside if it's too big, now that's why um, illustrated formats and diary formats, uh, things like manga, things like graphic novels so things that compete on the same level as the kind of stuff they enjoy watching on Netflix is now working far more for those more reluctant readers you've still got the kids who enjoy a longer form read and that's great and we've still got to cater for them, but if but we're losing them so fast because there are so many books that they're just not interested in. But mm. yeah, Die of a Wimpy Kid, Captain Underpants, Horrid Henry still appeals mm. to 12-year-olds because it's short, yeah. it's funny, it's illustrated. You know, and, and I keep seeing agents and, and, and publishers saying, oh, middle grade has to be like, you know, 50,000 words and all this. And I'm like, no, make it novella size because you're going to get far more yeah. interest from kids that want to go on their ipod and want to do minecraft and want to do all that yes they do want to read but they don't want to devote as much time to it you see so i think in a way we've got to adjust a bit our expectations of of how they well, want to spend their time but just on both of their points i mean the point about losing them at secondary school that's always been true I mean, I had to go and give talks in my son's school when they were in secondary school about why are they not reading. It's partly, for, it's partly because the primary curriculum is so good for literacy and reading. And so, you know, most kids up to year six have fantastic access to books. I mean, that's a big generalisation. But it is there and there's a lot of great publishing for it. They get to secondary school, everything else is going on. And typically, um, you know, secondary teachers don't know much about kids' books. So that's a bit of a doldrum in those two years. And then it all picks up again because the secretary teachers are brilliant as soon as they get into years 10 and 11 and start on GCSE books. And the teachers are wonderful on teaching that often and get them back hooked into it. I don't think we should worry about the fact that there's a period in kids' lives where they don't read because I think an awful lot of kids go back to it. On the length, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, 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 I think Harry Potter is absolutely wonderful for what it's done for children's books, but I think it's had a fatal problem about making people think kids might want to read that long books. They don't. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know what? I, yeah. I agree with you. Do, you. do you know what? A thing that publishers can do with secondary schools is they can get in there with class readers. Because what I have noticed is with our, our English um, lessons for our, our key stage three, which is, is your sort of 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds, the set books, if you choose a good set book, 
it can really ignite them. So, for example, our mm. year sevens are currently doing Face by Benjamin Zephaniah. And they love it. They absolutely love it. I mean, it was written, you know, a good few years ago now. But they love it, and it makes, it switches them on. They, they, can I read something else like Face? So I give them Refugee Boy, and they enjoy that. Or I give Mm. them other Mm. books in in a similar kind of way. And they love it. You know, we do the Hunger Games in year nine. They love that. More dystopia, please, miss. More like this, more like this. We do Mm. Weight of Water by Sarah Crossan, which is a verse novel in year eight. Oh, have you got any more like this written in poems? So I think public need to make friends with English teachers and push yeah. their books to become class readers because so that Vagabon, will get kids interested. Vagabond wants to know, what is a good MG book length then? I'm looking, you you I'm looking at me. Um, I'm looking at you. Yeah, yeah, you're complaining. Yeah, look at me. Okay. <laughs> um, personally, I, I think novella length. Um, so, for example, if you think of it's a YA book, but there's a book called that's been huge on TikTok called We Were Liars. But that's a that's a relatively short book, and you don't want any, you don't want anything longer than that. And in lower middle grade, particularly, you want that to be. Um, you don't want it any longer than that and you want loads of pictures we've got more work to do before we completely resolve all the problems inherent in publishing at the moment uh, we, which we almost have done um, but it goes look- back to what I said at the very beginning about the first picture book that we looked at simple is you know you don't yes. have to be complicated to make good books exactly. and if we want to make good readers sometimes we have to think in terms of brevity and simplicity rather than go. over-egging everything there you go great advice thank you very much julie let's see if sub- submission number three conforms to those directives which henceforth shall be known as the Eccleshare directives i think um it's the dragon's question fairly short title it's children's fantasy it's from matthew and this is matthew's blurb a dragon greedy for knowledge gets a surprising request from a wise woman to teach humans what he knows. He reluctantly agrees, but soon learns that sharing his knowledge brings rewards he never expected. And hello, this is Matthew Indeed. Yes, we're honoured to have uh, the author live in the YouTube chat right now. Uh, About you, Matthew, after teaching English in Japan and Korea for seven years, I came home to the San Francisco Bay Area in 2020. I've been working at an elementary school. Dear Watson, keep... It's the puns today. It's the trouble. It's learned my mental age. It's awful. Oh, dear. Uh, Keeping the kids safe and happy during the pandemic as a lunch and extended day teacher. I was just promoted to team lead of the extended day program and library specialist. There we go. After your own heart, Kate. These new challenges are sure to keep me on my toes while I continue to work on my writing. And here we are with a fabulous reading by Bev. The Dragon's Question by Matthew Perrett, read by Bev. Once upon a time... There was a powerful and terrible dragon. Like all dragons, he was very greedy. Most dragons loved gold or gems, but he loved knowledge. He wanted to know everything and have every book. He would find great teachers, scientists and other very smart people to teach him. Every time he told them, you will teach me everything you know. If you cannot teach me anything, I will eat you. After thousands of years, however, he was beginning to learn very little and eating very many people. 
He was frustrated, but not hungry. One day, the dragon heard about a very wise woman living in a town near his cave. He flew to the town and found her reading under an old olive tree. He landed in front of her with a huge crash. You will teach me everything you know, he said in his deep dragon voice. If you cannot teach me anything, I will eat you. The woman looked up at the dragon, who was as big as the olive tree, and blinked. Why? she asked. The dragon got angry. Why? he roared. Because I want to know everything. But why do you want to know everything? the woman asked. The dragon thought about this for a minute. Everyone was scared of him, but not this woman. No one had ever asked him a question before, and he did not know the answer. I will think about your questions, he said at last, and I will come back when I have an answer. So, will you eat me? the woman asked. Not today, said the dragon, but perhaps I will eat you tomorrow. The woman gave the dragon a small smile. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow then. The dragon flew away and returned to his cave. He thought very hard about the woman's questions, but he could not find an answer. He did not know why he wanted to know everything, only that he did. After a week of thinking, he finally decided that learning new things made him happy. He flew back to the town and found the woman under the olive tree again. I want to know everything because it makes me happy, he said. I thought you were going to come back the next day, she replied calmly. Your question was very difficult, the dragon growled. Now, tell me everything you know. May I ask one more question first, she asked. The dragon was not sure he wanted to answer another question. All right, he said, after thinking for a minute, but only one question. The woman stood up and looked into the dragon's eyes. What good is it to know everything if you do nothing with it? she asked. The dragon was very surprised. He also did not have an answer for this question. He walked around the olive tree three times while he thought, but he still did not know. This question is also very difficult, he said angrily. Yes, I know, replied the woman. The dragon walked around the olive tree three more times, thinking very hard. He was silent for a long time, then said to the woman, I only know that I like to learn things. I never thought about how to use what I learned. Maybe you could make things, she said. The dragon shook his head. I have claws, not hands. Besides, I am very big. I know how to make many things, but most of them are very small for me. The woman tapped her chin and thought. You could write a book, she said, but you also need hands for that. She thought a little more, then smiled. Or you could teach. Teach? the dragon roared. Why would I teach? Do you know how to teach? the woman asked. I also do not know how to be a mouse, the dragon growled. That is not a good reason. If you share your knowledge with five people, they will do new things with it. They will create new knowledge for you to learn. Am I wrong? The dragon thought for a long moment. No, you are not wrong. 
But who would listen to me? I am a great and terrible dragon, you know. Nice reading. Thank you so much, Bev. I could listen to that all day. And um, Pamela Joe PJ, Pamela Joe has got it in one of my very thoughts. Dragon Scheherazade. Yeah. It's Arabian Nights, isn't it? Or actually, Dread Pirate Roberts. Anyone? Does that ring a bell for anyone? Princess Bride? If you, have, if you haven't seen it, you've, you've missed such a treat. Uh, what did you think there, Julia? Well, I actually really liked it. Um, it was a bit boring in a way, but I found it very soothing. I liked the fable qualities of it. I liked the kind of, you know, the, the flow of the story. Mm. I think it's. I, I think it needs an injection of oomph <laughs> somehow. Yes. I mean, you know, it, it just needs. But that's not a big deal. I think that. I mean, I think now that now that it's written down, it would be very easy to lighten it up. I think the idea of it's very good. I think it would probably be, although I quite like the dragon and the lady just because of the kind of, that's the story, fairy story tradition of kind of the abstract person. But I think in order to make it a successful story for the readers, the age readers we're talking about, they need names, they need to be a little bit more of a character. But yes. I think the concept of the dragon I think the idea that he wants to have knowledge while other people want to have all sorts of other things is a nice one. We quite like that. I think the way the lady suggests that he might teach it so he could share it is a great idea. I think all the structure for it becoming a much better story are there, but you've got to get away from it being quite so preachy and turn it into a great, you know, fun to read. Yeah. And then the underlying message will remain intact. Uh, fantastic like advice very good fantastic advice thank you julia press your your vote button now um yeah, can you can can you add to that kate um uh, dragon arabian nights is a nice idea i think my issues with with me was just i know that if first of all my children would probably not read it themselves and if i started reading it to them they'd wander off and, and not be terribly interested because mm. i totally agree it needs more oomph as as julia said and it, there was a soothing quality to it but mm. i don't think kids nowadays are up for just being soothed i think they no not in that way my generation they, they need a bit yeah. of soothing oh, they see. need what was that they need they need more jeopardy and more of a sense of jeopardy they need a, a character they can get into um whether you add danger or whether you add humor or whether you add both um it just felt ra like a rather distant sort of misty fairy tale but yeah it, it just kind of it needed more energy to yeah, it, it does. yeah soothing, exactly soothing maybe but actually i think it needed energy to really totally get it going agree. For, matchin, for matchin says that as well. matchin says that too yeah. in the genius room go on go on julia I, I i i think your point about it needing jeopardy is a very good one i mean i just think the problem slight problem about it you come out and you're you, you find yourself thinking so what you yeah. know we need to have something has to have happened yeah. so that he can then resolve it and then we think oh there is a so what and this is the result of it and that would be better but i i still think it's got a, the germ of a very good idea in the heart of it 
Good, excellent. Machin says, slow, but not uninteresting. Intriguing how it will develop. Fair enough. Great advice there, Matthew. Uh, I know you're with us live, but just when you watch through this again, as I'm sure you will, everyone watches it at least once, um, just freeze, freeze frame it now and read everything everyone's saying. And there's nothing like it on the internet, actually. That's all I can say. Instant reactions straight from the heart and the mind. And we're going to go... Actually, we're going to see the, uh, the numbers now and then straight on to submission number four. Here we are, we're over the halfway point. <laughs> the first submission of the day is stonkingly ahead in every aspect. Title, blurb, craft, bang, and overall 72 points. I don't know if that's going to be beatable or not, but we'll find out now. Submission number four comes from David. And the, the all there is all genres. Hello, David, you're on YouTube. Fantastic having you along there. We love it. You review us, we review you. That's how it works. All genres. All right, that's pretty um, all-encompassing, isn't it? The Anterbury Tales. That appeals to me. I can, I can get the pun straight away. I love it. I, I, but then, you know, who am I to judge? The Anterbury Tales Chaucer for Kids. With insects. With insects. Why not? A group of insects are travelling to Anterbury for the cup. A football tournament. To pass the time, they tell each other stories. So, 12 tales in various genres, including fairy tale, a heist, a retelling of the golem myth, and a western in limerick form. In between, the characters react to each other's stories and generally bicker. The nit is meant to go first, but the earwig, who thinks he's Sinbad, gets in with a, tw with a tall tale of daring do. Wow. So far, so wow. Uh, let me tell everybody about you. I'm 46 years old and still not published. You've got time. Time is on your side. Hi. In my regular life, I teach international students who live in the Brighton area. I have three kids, two primary age and a toddler. I still have some hair left. I have a sense of humour. I studied English Lit at university, drawn on my acquaintance with Chaucer, along with my Jewish and Czech roots, and various other places for this book. I reckon it's taken about six years, six years, that's too long, to get to a finished manuscript, during which time I've discovered a great deal about creatures such as capra beetles and mole crickets. I've occasionally performed these tales in local festivals in my kids' primary school to positive responses, at least from my own lot, and it would be good to hear from some professionals. Hopefully you don't hate stories of insects in or Chaucer we don't I can tell you that we don't and in fact we love the concept so much we've given it to Jeff to read The Anterbury Tales by David Spillman read by John so there I was in a dark ravine by the flickering remnants of my candle I could see the creatures advancing towards me to my right was a fearsome centipede casting a deadly shadow on the walls of the ravine on my left a wolf spider approached, venom dripping from its huge fangs. I backed against the rock wall, drew my sword and steeled myself for the fight to the death. Against one of these I might have prevailed, but against such a two all seemed lost. How had I got there, you ask? The earwig paused and looked around dramatically. We had set out, I and my crew, in search of fame and fortune. Our boat had a gossamer sail, and its body was one half of the shell of a walnut. Boldly, we launched into the North Sea on a course for Denmark. But it was not to be. Within hours, the light faded. Immense storm clouds hung heavy in the grim sky. The deluge began and the wind howled about us. We clung on as our boat was tossed from one mountainous wave to another. I myself wrapped arms and pincers tightly around the mast. With an almighty crack, the mast split in two 
and I was flung into the sea. I found myself adrift in the gale, still clinging to the remnants of the mast. The storm continued to range unabated, and I drifted in and out of consciousness, buffeted by unmerciful waves. Many days later, I was washed ashore. I cannot tell how long I lay on the strange beach. Then I arose and wandered blindly from one place to another. The land around me was hard and barren. I lived on the occasional shriveled leaf and slaked my thirst with drops of foul-tasting water pooled in the rocks. As I travelled further, one night I found myself at the entrance to a ravine, sheer on both sides. On my belt I still had a small pouch, and inside I found the stub of a candle and some flint. Lighting the candle, I ventured in, and I found myself trapped between two deadly foes, the centipede and the wolf spider. So there I was. As I stood with the sword in hand and pincers ready, waiting to see which would attack first, there came an unearthly cry from above, a cry that shook me to the depths of my being. I looked up to see a huge shape for a moment blotting out the moon, an enormous bird descending. It stood astride the ravine and reached out a great claw, closing it around the centipede. I had just moments to act. The wolf spider had produced a small amount of silk with the aim of tying me up and dragging me off. I grabbed this out of its gaping maw and lassoed it around the bird's claw as it began its ascent. I clung on as the bird climbed higher and higher. Its wings beat the air like huge sails, their span greater than the branch of an oak tree. Its eyes were like plates, ingrained with malice, while its beak was as cruel as the sharpest scimitar. Eventually, the bird reached its nest. I watched with a mixture of gratitude and horror as it broke the centipede in half, feeding it to its hideous chicks. I had jumped clear and made sure that I stayed out of view. With another deathly cry, the bird left the nest once more, and I took stock of my surroundings. I was on the edge of a vast nest at the top of a mountain. Behind me was a cliff, at the bottom of which I could just make out the ravine. The nest itself was made of thick fibres, drawn too closely together for me to be able to break through them or hide underneath. It was littered with small bones and hides of various rodents. Some distance ahead of me sat the two enormous chicks, gazing at me with malevolent eyes. Beyond them stood a huge silver egg. It came to my mind that I would have this egg, and with it, finally, make my fortune. And the genii have not been slow. Um, yeah, Archie, Archie Wizzy, a couple of good points, I think. Would kids write to words like more and ravine? And that ties into a previous comment Archie Wizzy made. Some, some quite old-fashioned words. Is that deliberate? Yeah, I thought so too. And he's got, got some Robinson Crusoe feel to me. Um, mm. And then... Hannah says, if every eight character is an insect, I prefer it in third person as I'm not an insect. Um, Vagabond says, humans insect form, but no feel of insectness. Yes, you thought so too, Julia. Mm, I thought that was a very good point. I mean, the trouble was, it may have been meant to be um, uh, Chaucer, but it turned into Gulliver's Travels in I some did, sort yes. of way. And yes. the only thing you could think about, I mean, the best, you know, the, the best kind of short piece about insect adventure, it has to be James and the Giant Peach. And, you know, this just was a million miles away. And I, I think it's, again, I mean, it, I don't know why simple versus complicated is what seems to have been my theme this today, but this is far, far too complicated. It, it's yeah. too complicated for the author, and therefore it becomes very, very complicated for the listeners, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I imagined this was intended for nine plus, but maybe I was wrong. I mean, if it wasn't, I think it was going to go over the heads of. Um, 
Wee, it's my fault. I just yeah. sort of take us anywhere. I felt. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I think I completely agree with that. What did you think, Kate? Yeah, I agree with Julia. Um, I really like the idea. I thought chores with insects. Is just, yeah, why not? I mean, and, and I, I also like the idea of different stories being told in different formats. Um, it would be quite fun. Um, I think the issue for making it appeal to modern children is that it's just very retro and it feels very retro and very old-fashioned. And although that's not necessarily a problem, um, I didn't feel kind of hooked into the world enough, I think because I was struggling to identify with the earwig protagonist. Um, it, it, just, it just felt a bit too distant somehow, and I think that children might would probably have that issue with it as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you, if you're going to... Actually, yeah, I'm, I, I, the I wanted more humor. Yeah, I'm definitely up for that. Sounds great. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, I it's, wanted more humour, definitely. Um, yeah. I think if we'd started with like the equivalent of the Miller's Tale, you know, something a bit silly, oh, and, yes. you know, with, 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 with a, a fart, a fart joke, and fart jokes, fart jokes. jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, then then that that might have been something. But yeah, it, it, it was a bit. It was more like um, I don't know which tale it was. The um, the tale about courtly love and during do and all that and like without sort of something weird about it that, that either makes us believe in the earwig more <laughs> or has some kind of other twist i don't yeah. know but there was just something that wasn't grabbing me and, and i think yeah. something more is needed but i really like the idea definitely like I, that, I, love the, I love the concept too definitely. something else with it i think Good, fair enough. You got a fifty-one there, David, which is uh, more than half and more than reasonable. Um, and we have—we still don't have anyone close to the first <laughs> submission from Michael, which is a staggering seventy-two. Thank you very much, Mike uh, Matthew. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm so pleased that you come back and give us instant reaction to to our comments. I mean, that, that, that's unique and it's it's very important. Please do do that. Yeah. Please also... Don't give up. Don't give up. Can I just say, don't yeah. give up. I've been working on my young fiction for nearly five years now. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I think it's absolutely brilliant now, but it really wasn't five years ago when I started it. So <laughs> so you, you do have to give these things time and you learn your craft yeah. and all the rest of it. And you, take, you have to take the knocks and take the advice and stuff. But <clears throat> keep at it, you know, don't don't give up. Don't give up, right. We're not, we're not here to discourage. Exactly, that's <laughs> fantastic. We just have one more submission for the show and the month. Here we go. Submission number five. It's from Beverly. QR code there too. You can scan it. Go wherever Beverly wants you to. Middle grade fantasy. <laughs> that's fair enough. It's called the Essa Hebron. Essa Hebron, right? Essa Hebron, yeah. Two sisters search for a new magic to save their kingdom, as the ancient power that sustained it is dying. Something sinister is twisting their lives to its own ends, and now their last hope lies in the hands of a young girl. But first, she must be woken. You think you know the story of the sleeping princess? Think again. All right. Martin thinks it's an intriguing title. I'll tell you about 
Beverly. Um, the Asa Hebron is the first in a trilogy of interlinked tales based on popular fairy stories. The idea came when I was watching the ballet of the Sleeping Princess, uh, Sleeping Beauty, sorry, and found myself standing on my feet, yelling at the telly, starting with, you curse a baby because you weren't invited to a christening. Have you been to a christening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, through who's running the country while you're asleep then, all the way up to, no, 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 she's not marrying some creepy stranger she woke up to find molesting her in her room. That is an issue, isn't it, actually? Yes. Obviously, I had to write the proper version. Research included trolling off to get a degree in creative writing with Bart Spa. Oh. And spending a year as a Latopian, getting all the feedback I could lay my hands on. And now, the climax is a reading from Emily. The Essa Hebron by Beverly, read by Emily. One, Lady Agatha. Avienda. The room was packed with spellbooks, bottles and potions. Shelves lining the walls buckled under the weight of dusty pots and cork-stoppered jars. Bunches of long-dried plants hung from rusting hooks over the fireplace, and the uneven stone floor was littered with piles of battered books. In a tidier corner of the room, Avienda sat gazing at an old woman who lay sunk into the pillows of a rickety wooden bed. The evening was drawing in, and the flickering candlelight was lessening the harsh lines of her formidable features. A hundred and fifty-seven, Avienda thought. Not such a great age. Not for a Hebronite, a landlistener, a sorceress with magic in her veins. They live for centuries. But the woman in the bed was far more human than Hebronite, so perhaps the magic had become too dilute? Or perhaps it was this. The last drops of the magic in the whole kingdom were inside her, and her alone. There was no one else to go to for help. Whatever the reason, it was clear she was dying, and there was nothing Avienda could do to stop it. The woman stirred and tried to push herself upright. Avienda moved quickly to help her. Hush now, Lady Agatha, she said. Please lie back down and try to get some rest. But Lady Agatha persisted, until she was sitting up and leaning back against the wooden headboard, wheezing from the effort. She raised an unsteady hand, and pointed to a high shelf. Avienda, bring me the vial of questing elixir, the dark bottle at the top, beside the jar of Wormworth. Hurry, girl, my strength is fading fast. Avienda had never seen anyone take the elixir, but she'd heard the stories. People went mad, their wits disappearing as their minds got lost in the Shadowlands. Or worse, they died, slowly and screaming. She'd never disobeyed Lady Agatha, Never. But this? I can't, my lady, she said. I'm sorry, but I just can't. Get me the potion now, or I'll call your sister. Avienda hesitated, miserable and unsure, until Lady Agatha's tone softened. I know I'm dying, Avienda. There are tasks I'd hoped to complete, but I have no time, she smiled weakly. The questing elixir may give me the answers I'd seek, and there are things that you and Rain must know. Reluctantly, Avienda climbed the stepladder and reached for the bottle. She picked it up carefully, holding it at arm's length as she came back down. Although the bottle was caked with dust, she could still make out the black liquid, emitting a faint green glow that blistered the inside of the glass. She shuddered, pausing at the foot of the ladder. Rain appeared in the doorway, drying her hands on her apron and looking cross and tired. Wordlessly, Avienda held up the bottle for her sister to see. For goodness sake, Avy, put that back. It's not medicine, you know, said Rain. 
No, it's the questing elixir. She's commanded I give it to her. For a moment Rain did nothing. Then she held out her palm. Avienda handed it over with a sigh of relief. Rain would know what to do. She was older, smarter and better at everything. Yes, Rain would know. She followed her to the bed. What nonsense is this? said Rain, waggling the bottle in front of the old woman. Lady Agatha scowled. Give that to me, Rain, right now, if you please. Rain leaned over. She laid her other hand gently on the fragile skin that covered the brittle bones of the old woman's fingers. But what good can come of it? she said softly. Oh, you might have a vision, perhaps, or catch a glimpse of the future. But what then? Would you even be able to tell us about it, after all the elixir puts you through? Lady Agatha cast her a glance that would shrivel a cauldron. You are my apprentice, she snapped. You can disobey me when I'm dead, young lady, but not before. She snatched the bottle from Rain, and before Avienda could react, she uncorked the bottle and took a deep swig of the evil-looking liquid. What can I help you um, not keen on miserable and unsure as this RG uh, Wizzy. I think this could be shown rather than explained. Annie hmm. says, such a lovely atmosphere despite what's going on. And um, Pamela says, I feel, I, I feel I've stepped into a world almost cin- cinematically confident prose, says Johnny. And I apologise to Johnny because we did actually have a technical um, cock-up with a previous reading. It wasn't Jeff. Much as we wanted a reading from Jeff, it was actually Johnny. So thank you very much, Johnny, for that. What did you think, Julia? I thought that was very good. I mean, uh, I think um, I don't like the title. I mean, the wisdom of publishing when I worked as a children's book editor was don't have a title which doesn't mean anything to people. It's too confusing. So I was publishing a book at that time with which is called the Stravagas, which is a Scottish word, but the reps didn't like it at all. And then there was a Rumor Godden novel called The Didgeridoo. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't called that. It was called, I'm just thinking of that because I'm seeing Didgeridoo. Uh, yeah. It was called The Didicoy. Oh, and yes. um, and uh, everyone said, but there's The Didicoy, but, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer. I think uh. it's much better to have a title which actually has some resonance because nobody yeah. will remember that title. So yeah. I, I, yeah. that's what I'd say about the title. I like the blurb. I thought that was very good. And I think I think this is good writing. I think it is a bit too much showing and too much telling and not enough showing. Again, it goes back to simple. Be brave. Take out half of what you've written and mm. let the words make the gaps. I mean, mm. a book comes alive when the reader fills in what the author intends, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Well, that's what I always think. I yeah. like I, I like underwriting. I like to feel that I'm yeah. playing some part in it. I don't want to be told everything. Yeah. And I think that, I honestly think that the, the author here has a really good way of building up an impression of an environment. So just build up an impression and leave us as the readers to fill in the detail. So I think you've got the start of something very good, but you just need to winnow it down and not I mean we could have got that bottle off the shelf ourselves by the time you told us that but we didn't need to know that we wanted to know the atmosphere in the room not how to get the bottle off the shelf fantastic absolutely spot on there Kate 
Yeah, I haven't got much to add to that, really. Um, I agree. It, it felt confident. I was enjoying it. I would definitely read on. Um, I loved new takes on fairy tales. I think, mm. you know, there's always something else you can do with a fairy tale. Um, so I'm, I always find that interesting. Um, and, and I mean, I liked there was that hint of it, something about magic. And I, again, I like new takes on magic. Mm. Um, and and pr- perhaps I could have I could have had a bit more of that actually a bit less of getting the bottle off the shelf and a little bit more of the oh a bit more hint about what this this different thing about this magic is in this story um but uh, yeah i I enjoyed it and funnily enough i'm I'm reading a an an mg fantasy that's not a million miles away from this at the minute and i'm thoroughly enjoying it and uh, I, i think one thing I would say, just to just to capture younger readers who nowadays are a pretty demanding lot, and you've got a lot of competition, <laughs> is is hit, hit try and hit them with a bit more character. Actually, wouldn't be a bad thing because um, some great ideas there. But I, I, I want to sort of I, I want a little bit of of, of, of Stephen King esque, just a, a line to kind of get me into the protagonist a bit more. Um, just yeah. to pull me in more. Yeah. Um, but I, I think re- really promising, though. I think this this is looking good, this one. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's look at the overall numbers now, shall we? You got a 62. Beverly Dalton, I do declare, you got a 62. And a lot of people liked your craft, actually. A lot of people liked your craft, which in, in many respects is the most important thing. That's the end of the show. It's the end of oh. the month. So it does actually mean we've got two winners. First of all, we've got the, the show winner. Yes, it's going to be... It's going to be... submission the show congratulations michael it also means you get you you get your name on twice today once as a show winner and secondly as the monthly Yeah, and doesn't it just prove what Judah is saying? Simplicity wins out. Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. There you go. First mission of the day. The first shall be, in this case, first. And before we disappear, please let me acknowledge the wonderful team behind pop-up submissions, without whom, of course, it wouldn't be possible. Uh, Kate, you've just seen. Rachel, our guest producers. Emily, who you heard, our submissions manager and also house mother to our impossibly talented team of narrators. Our team of reviewers coming together very nicely now who keep our standards high. All the denizens of the genius room for simply being their fabulous selves. And today's special guests, Julia and Kate and today's authors. And right at the centre of it all, you. Join us, please, next week. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. All going down with suits and ties, just sitting in the crowd, smoking big cigars. I hope you're ready for what's coming now. I'm the one, I'm the lady that will bring you down. There's a drunk on the corner where the big boys play, where the whiskey is running like the river, but they all never come for the booze and bass. I'm the one, I'm the lady that will rock this place.
Ты гость, 